Hello, welcome to Recruiting Trail. I'm your host, Andrew Nemec of the Oregonian and Oregon Live. This is a two-part podcast. In this part, part one, we are covering the Oregon Ducks. In the second part, we will look at the Oregon State Beavers. And the reason we need two parts is because the early signing period is in the books. At least the first day, the big day of the early signing period is in the books. And in that first day, the Oregon Ducks officially signed 20 of their 21 prospects from their class, which is rated number six in the nation, according to 24-7 Sports, number five in the nation, according to Rivals. It is the highest rated class in program history. If you've listened to my work, if you've read my work, I've predicted, and a lot of Oregon writers have predicted, this would be Oregon's best recruiting class ever. It's one thing to predict it. It's another for the coaching staff to deliver it in a year where they can't host visits. There's been no in-person contact between coaches and players since March, and yet here we are, one day into the early signing period. It was not full of drama. In fact, it was really quiet. But that's a good thing if you're Oregon, because you didn't want flips. You didn't want anything to go awry when you've already got a class that's a top five or six class in the nation coming into that first day. So for Oregon fan who's saying, a little bit disappointing, we didn't add anybody on that last day. This was the dream scenario for the Oregon Ducks. They signed 20 of 21 verbal commitments. The only guy who didn't sign four-star outside linebacker Jonathan Flo committed Tuesday, and he wasn't expected to sign. He wanted to sign during the late signing period, the traditional signing period, in February. So Oregon did exactly what they wanted to do. All 20 of their big-name prospects have checked that box. They've signed the paperwork, send it in, binding paperwork. They are future ducks. This class, sign, sealed, delivered, and what a class it is. You know the hits. You know the headlines. Five-star quarterback Ty Thompson. Five-star offensive tackle Kingsley Suamataia. You know this is the best group of wide receivers and tight ends that Oregon has ever signed. And maybe, maybe the best collection of wide receivers and tight ends in the country for the class of 2021. You know that. But you come to this podcast for a deeper dive. So we're going to take a deep look into this class and also... Because roughly 80% sign during the early signing period, 80% of Power 5 conference prospects signed during the early signing period, that means 20% haven't signed. Out of that 20%, who is Oregon targeting? Oregon isn't done. They've got multiple scholarships left. Who are they going to go after? I've got the list. I've got an idea of the likelihood that they get those guys. But first, I want to get into this class and get to the meat of this class. And we can do it position by position. And that starts at quarterback. Five-star quarterback Ty Thompson. He committed in March. The NCAA announced the all-in-person contact shutdown that is still ongoing while he was on campus in March. He was allowed to finish his visit. Thank goodness, Oregon fan says, because what ended up happening is he fell in love with the campus and decided to commit when Ty Thompson committed. He was the number eight pro-style quarterback in the country, according to 24-7 Sports. He was the number eight dual-threat quarterback in the country, according to Rivals. But if you listen to Mario Cristobal during his signing day press conference, his signing day news conference, he said, we thought Ty Thompson was the best kid in the nation from the jump. Now, I don't know if Oregon liked him more than Caleb Williams or if they were neck and neck, but 
I certainly think that you could say Oregon felt very, very good that they were getting a potential five-star quarterback when Ty Thompson committed in March. And if you go back and read my headline, it's funny because I, I went and looked and, and I've said from the very beginning, I thought Ty Thompson was going to be a big time prospect. He was one of the top quarterbacks in America. Usually I put what their ranking is in the headline. And a little, a little hint is if I think a guy's going to rise or fall dramatically by signing day, because people go back and look at those stories, those commitment stories, I will change, like not change their ranking in the headline. We, I just don't include the ranking in the headline. So my headline when Ty Thompson committed is Ty Thompson, elite quarterback, commits to Oregon Ducks. And the reason I did that was I thought potentially if I put his ranking in at the time and said nation's number eight pro style quarterback, when people look at it, around signing day, when they went back in the archives and tried to check out our commitment stories, they'd be like, what is this headline? This is obviously wrong. So the next time you see a commitment from Oregon, and instead of nation's number 10 offensive tackle commits, I write elite offensive tackle. That means I think he's either going to rise significantly or fall significantly. And if you pay attention to this podcast, I'll give you the kind of the details of what I think of the guy, and you'll have a pretty good idea of where I think his ranking is going. But Ty Thompson is special. Checks every box imaginable. This is a kid with a big arm. He can make all the throws when his feet aren't necessarily set. Kind of that Russell Wilson, Patrick Mahomes uh, special talent to him. Now, I'm not saying he's that good right now. He's not. He's a high school kid. But he has that ability that his feet aren't necessarily set, thrown across his body, and somehow it's a dime to his receiver. Ty Thompson, big arm. He can run. Everybody said the knock on him when he was the number eight pro style or dual threat quarterback in the nation was he has every tool imaginable. He has every tool imaginable at his disposal. The problem is he's too inconsistent. He's accurate sometimes. He's got touch sometimes. He shows off a big arm sometimes. He acts like he knows when to run sometimes. And he has poise in the pocket sometimes. Well, all of those sometimes during his senior years became most of the time or all of the time. And everybody's going, who is this guy? He's a different player. It's like he's evolved three years forward. He's jumped three years forward in development in just a few months. Ty Thompson went to the Elite 11 camp, which is the camp for the best quarterbacks in America. If you go back the last 10 years, it's all of the big names. Kyler Murray, Trevor Lawrence, every big Justin Fields, all of the big name quarterbacks the last several years have gone through that camp. 24-7 Sports named him the alpha dog, the best quarterback at that camp. He finished in the top three in the official rankings, but as Trent Dilfer, who runs the camp, pointed out, 50% of that grade is based on junior year film. 50% was based on the multi-day camp. Well, I just told you, if you go back and look at his junior day film, Uh, He was not one of the top five or six quarterbacks in the nation because he flashed elite skill, but didn't consistently show it. So he went into that camp, probably rated, and SI actually did this. They actually ranked the quarterbacks coming in. So for that 50%, roughly where would they be? And Ty Thompson was in the back half of the top 10. So in that 50% of multi-day camp performance, he was way above that. Ty Thompson is an incredible incredible get. You have to be happy if you're an Oregon fan, the first ever five-star quarterback. And this truly is a kid who has all the tools to develop into an all pro. I've talked to a number of people, high school coaches, had a chance to talk to some college coaches. What is this kid? And I've heard Aaron Rodgers. I've heard a potential Aaron Rodgers type 
Um, not that he is obviously a walking Aaron Rodgers. My comp for him has been he's kind of a Pat Mahomes, Russell Wilson, not quite a big an arm, but more accurate Josh Allen. This is a kid that can do it all and run for yards too. Special, special get. At the running back position, now we got to wait on running back because Oregon's in the mix for another player. Uh, I will address it in further detail later, but they recently offered Byron Cardwell, the number eight running back in the nation. He did not sign during the early signing period. And when I talk about why this was a dream scenario for the Oregon Ducks, why yesterday or signing day was a dream scenario for the Oregon Ducks, it's this. They signed all 20 of the commitments they expected to sign. Then of the guys they're still recruiting that they said they're not committed, you know, that that you would say they're not committed, so we're still going to target them. And that's got to be what the coaching staff is saying. These are the group of guys we're probably going to go after because they've offered – you can talk to the kids and they say, Oregon's in contact with me. Of those uncommitted guys, none of them surprise signed anywhere. And Byron Cardwell didn't sign anywhere. So Oregon's going to have time to try to make up ground to get him. But who they did get is Seven McGee. And what an interesting story Seven McGee is. Seven McGee is the seventh child in his family, thus the name Seven. I don't know why the family uh, didn't name the fifth child five and the sixth child six or any of that, but he's the seventh child. He's named Seven. Seven McGee has been interested in Oregon and committed to Oregon since he was a freshman in high school. He decommitted right after he committed as a freshman. And everybody went, see, this is one of those freshman commitments that doesn't really mean anything. And then just a few months later, he recommitted. And in a really honest interview I had with him at the time, he said, as soon as I committed, I got all this pressure from people. Now, he grew up in the L.A. area, and people were saying, USC, man, USC is going to offer you. And USC did offer him. And it was like, you got to look at other options. Don't commit. Don't don't lock yourself in. You don't know what's going to happen. And he was he said, I was thinking the whole time, I want to go to Oregon. That's the only place I want to go. I don't care about my other offers. I want to go to Oregon. But he decommitted for just a few months. Then, of course, recommits still as a friend. In 2018, he committed. He's a class of 2021 kid. He committed in 2018. And Seven McGee has stuck with Oregon this entire time. What he hasn't stuck with and what his family hasn't stuck with is where they live. And he's bounced around from California to New York and back a few times during his during his uh, high school career. And that's really set him back. And when, when, when he was a sophomore the summer before uh, his junior year, I believe, or this, yeah, the summer before his junior year, he was rated the number 33 prospect in the nation. That's right on the edge of five-star status. That, that puts you, and in, 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 at the time, that made him the number two running back in the nation. Seven McGee was an absolute blue chip kid. To give people an idea of where that is, that number 33 ranking, which was on 24-7 sports, would have made him like the second highest commitment in this class, only behind Kingsley Suomataia. That's how good they thought this kid was in a snapshot as a sophomore. The problem was he moved to New York and was ineligible for his junior year after just a handful. I think he was able to actually play like a game or something, but not consistent because he barely played Um, and then didn't get to play a senior year because of COVID concerns. So he hasn't really consistently played football since he was a sophomore in high school. During that time, he's also, as I mentioned, bounced around between California and New York, which has mixed up his academics a little bit. Some of his credits are from New York. Some of his credits are from California. So because of all that, there are some concerns about him. 
They're not character concerns. He's a great kid. He's a nice kid. But there are concerns about, you know, what exactly is going to be accepted because, he, again, he's got some credits in New York, some credits in California. And then the added layer is he hasn't played consistent padded football in 700 days. So Seven McGee, if you look at him, and I got a chance to look at him before his sophomore season, it's a long time ago, at the Saturday Night Live camp when Willie Taggart was still head coach, and he was dynamic. You would have never guessed that he was just finishing his freshman year in high school. He was one of the best players there, and Dante Thornton was there. Johnny, uh, actually it was a year before Johnny Wilson, but Dante Thornton, I believe was there. Um, Jalen Waddle was definitely there. The, the Alabama superstar receiver and Jalen Waddle was the best kid there in my opinion, but the gap between him and seven was not huge. So if seven puts the pads back on and can refine that magic, you might be looking at a D'Anthony Thomas type player, really special get, even though he's only, uh, according to some sites, a three-star prospect, but he is one of the top five or six all-purpose backs in the nation. Wide receiver is one of the big stories of this class. You look at this wide receiver position and maybe, 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 uh, at least I was for Oregon. I was worried for Oregon fan because they put a lot of stock in this wide receiver group. This summer, Rivals named it the number one wide receiver class in the country. That was before they got Dante Thornton Jr., the number six receiver in the nation. That's how good this class is. But if you followed Oregon recruiting, you know about Oregon's problems. Their seeming curse at the wide receiver position. It goes back three years ago when they lost seven, seven pass catchers who were committed to the program. Seven kids decommitted. Uh, four of them, I believe, were four-star wide receivers. Three of them were either three-star wide receivers or four-star tight ends. But still, seven wide receiver and tight end commits decommit in one recruiting cycle. It was a year where there was a coaching change. It's the year that Willie Taggart uh, left for Florida State, but still, it's an unbelievable uh, beginning, seemingly, of that curse. The next year, Oregon said, hey, we had all these decommitments, we need receivers. They offered a ton of receivers, just a ton of receivers, and they missed on almost all of them, almost all of them. They get Jalen Hall. Jalen Hall doesn't even ever really make it to a full uh, week of practice. Jalen Hall is no longer part of the program. He was an All-American. They got a couple of four-star receivers who were low, low four-stars and low, low on Oregon's board. And as you can see, they're, they're guys who haven't really done anything yet. So you wonder if it really they're going to pan out or if they're going to transfer out of the program because there are younger guys coming in who are very special. Then last year, Johnny Wilson is committed, the six foot six, 225-pound wide receiver. And on the first day of the early signing period, he flips from Oregon to Arizona State. And it's like, will this curse at wide receiver, will it ever end for the Oregon Ducks? Well, Mario Cristobal hires Brian McClendon, the wide receiver coach, who is an elite recruiter. I don't know either way about his X's and O's chops. And frankly, it's not my job to know. My job is to know recruiting. How good a recruiter is this kid or this guy? And that's all I care about. When any coach gets hired, whether it's Mario Cristobal, Marcus Arroyo, uh, you know, Joe Moorhead, um, if I know for sure about X's and O's, I'll throw something out. Like Moorhead, everybody knows is a great X's and O's coach. Uh, he's proven that throughout, and, and everybody knows that. But generally speaking, my job is to talk recruiting, and Brian McClendon can flat out recruit. He brought in Nick Chubb and Todd Gurley to Georgia. Those guys panned out pretty well in terms of identify a running back, go get him, bring him in. He's done a great, great job as a recruiter throughout his career. So he comes in and Oregon already 
has a good relationship with Troy Franklin. The funny thing about Troy Franklin, who is the headliner of this class, at one point he was a five-star wide receiver. He's dropped down to a very, very, very high four-star. I think he's five or six spots in the national rankings on 24-7 sports from being a five-star prospect. So he's about as high a four-star prospect as you can possibly get. Troy Franklin was on his visit to Oregon in early March, still allowed, was on his visit to Oregon in early March when it was announced that the wide receiver coach at the time was leaving for Kentucky. He's on his visit to Oregon. And it's like, oh, well, the wide receiver coach is gone. And for a lot of kids, you think, man, that would be a deal breaker. If I'm a wide receiver, if I'm a running back, if I'm a quarterback, and my position coach leaves while I'm on my visit that me and my family paid for, I'm out. But Mario Cristobal and his staff did a great job. They kept Troy Franklin in the fold. And another hidden layer to this recruitment that adds to really how special his recruitment was, Troy Franklin plays 7-on-7 or played 7-on-7 football with FSP, Ford Sports Performance up in Seattle. Tracy Ford, great guy. I've had him on my radio show. Um, We've done interviews with him for, for the Oregonian and Oregon Live. Uh, and I think he had something like 17, 18 prospects sign with colleges this week. Tracy Ford has one of the best seven on seven programs in the nation. His kids work out consistently with the Seahawks. He trains some of the Seahawks, Bobby Wagner. Um, Keith Brown went up to FSP and worked out with FSP this offseason and worked with Bobby Wagner one on one. Richard Sherman comes back in the offseason when he's not with the Niners and helps the corners. Um, DK Metcalf works out there. Josh Gordon, the wide receiver for the Seahawks, works out there. And all those high school kids work with those kids. Troy Franklin went to work out with FSP. The quarterback at FSP is Sam Heward, the five-star quarterback who signed with Washington. And Washington was recruiting Troy Franklin hard. And the -the behind-the-scenes hope was that during the spring seven-on-seven season, Sam Heward, the quarterback that's going to Washington, the number one quarterback in the nation, according to 24-7 Sports in terms of pro-style passer, the hope was that he and Troy Franklin would bond during the seven-on-seven circuit And that Troy would be like, man, I want to connect and keep this connection going in college. But COVID shut down some of, a lot of, the 7-on-7 season. And so because of that, Troy and Sam really never got that chemistry going. And not that that would have been the end-all be-all, but it was kind of a secret weapon Washington had in the recruitment of Troy Franklin that got shut down. I had a chance to see Troy Franklin uh, play at FSP, and he was unbelievable. He got behind the corners time and time again for touchdown passes. It was just too easy. I mean, they were smoking people. The opposite receiver for him at FSP, by the way, is Tobias Merriweather. He's a kid out of Vancouver, and Tobias Merriweather is a top 100 prospect in the class of 2022. I've already made my prediction. I think Tobias Merriweather becomes a duck. He's got multiple schools in the mix for him, but he's close with Troy Franklin. He's close with Keith Brown. Um, He's close with some of the FSP guys. Maliki Matavau also played a little bit with FSP. He's close with Maliki. So there's a chance that Oregon actually builds this FSP connection and is able to get both of those receivers. Tobias Merriweather's got a chance to be as good or maybe even better in the end than Troy Franklin. So something to watch in the class of 2022. Dante Thornton has a relationship with Joe Moorhead. He's been recruited by a number of schools when he visits Oregon for the Saturday Night Live camp before his uh, before his junior year. Uh, he's committed to Penn State, but he says, I'm blown away. Now, Oregon has that camp every year, and every year, 40 or 50 of their top prospects come into that camp, 
And Oregon coaches watch them live, put them through drills, and pick out the guys they like and recruit the heck out of them. So Oregon's seen Dante Thornton up close, in personal, in action, and they love him. They love him. And you know they love him because even though he was committed to Penn State, they worked for multiple years to get him. He had a relationship with Joe Moorhead prior to Joe Moorhead coming to Oregon. So that was like kind of the icing on the cake for Dante Thornton. And Dante Thornton was one of those kids who was rumored to be a commitment for Oregon for months, for months. Is he going to commit? When's he going to announce? Is he going to make it public? Is he really committed? And sure enough, Dante Thornton, the number six wide receiver in the nation, committed to Oregon this fall. Again, it seemed like he'd been committed for months. A huge get. This is a kid who's six foot five, 205, 210 pounds, and ran a laser, a reported laser in the four fours. Six foot five, 210, four four laser. Unbelievable. You pair him with Troy Franklin. That's phenomenal. Isaiah Brevard, the Under Armour All American. And it's funny, he's a kid that has rankings all over the board. According to one site, he's a three star prospect. According to ESPN, Isaiah Brevard is actually Oregon's highest rated recruit tied with a couple other kids. I think they gave him an 86 grade. They do a, a like a one to a hundred grade. Um, and Oregon has a number of kids at 86 and Isaiah Brevard is one of them. So it depends on how you view him, but he is an Under Armour All-American. And it's a great get for Oregon to go across the country and go ahead and pick him up when, you know, at times you have a hard time getting receivers from the West Coast. So to, as an addition... And not that he's by any means a side piece to these other guys. He's not. Troy Franklin and Dante Thornton steal the headlines. But Isaiah Brevard is an Under Armour All-American. And he's your third receiver. It's unbelievable. It's an unbelievable haul at wide receiver. Kyron Ware Hudson obviously um, moves on from Oregon to USC with a late flip, not le- not yesterday, a couple weeks ago. A uh, little bit of a surprise move, although his brother, Keon, is a defensive lineman and not really playing very much at Oregon. I wonder if that has something to do with it. Kyron Ware Hudson's a great receiver. He's an Under Armour All-American. Certainly wish him the best. He has a great family. Uh, he just chose to stay close to home, and, and that was going to happen, and that's what you had to worry about happening with the COVID pandemic, that everybody's been close to home, that everybody's the only campus anybody's ever been able to walk around, for the most part, has been their own campus. So would that play a factor? And, and really, for the most part, it didn't for Oregon, although Kyron Ware Hudson uh, did move on. It'll be interesting to see Oregon may not be done at wide receiver. Samori Tori, the FS, uh, the FCS, excuse me, All-American wide receiver from Westview High School uh, and the University of Montana. He entered the transfer portal. I think, and I'm not, I'm not certain, but if Jalen Red or Johnny Johnson decide not to play another season after this one, or if Oregon just decides they need help at wide receiver, Samori Torrey makes a lot of sense. And that's a kid who, in terms of a transfer prospect, is probably the rough equivalent of a middle four-star prospect. Samori Torrey's got a chance to be uh, a, a starter, frankly, at Oregon from day one. He might not be Devin Williams, uh, but he might play opposite Devin Williams. So Samori Torrey's a name to watch especially if Jalen Red or Johnny Johnson decide they want to move on, or if you see a couple of transfers during the offseason at wide receiver. At tight end, oh boy, the tight end position. I, you know, you look at wide receiver and say, that's been a problem for Oregon, and, and the history of the wide receiver position at Oregon, you know, everybody likes to cite Josh Huff and, and Jeff Mayo as big-time wide receivers, and that's wonderful. Um, and they did a great job while they were at Oregon, but there's a reason they weren't first, second, third, fourth round draft picks. They weren't those kind of guys. Uh, they're good. They're not elite. And and uh, so Oregon hopes to bring in some elite wide receivers. Tight end position, kind of similar. You look at this tight end position for Oregon, and they had a run from about 94, 1994 
to God, I think 2014 ish where they had at least one future NFL tight end on the roster at all times. You know, you go Josh Wilcox, Blake Spence, George Reister, Justin Peel, uh, just a huge collection of names throughout time. And I know there are a lot more than that. So, uh, you know, Dante Rosario and and all, and all those names, there are a ton of them. Uh, and they're all doing a great job. A lot of them are doing a great job at the NFL level. Ed Dixon, a fan favorite. Uh, this group feels like it's a down cycle. Hunter Camp Moyer was a three-star defensive end. DJ Johnson converted from another position uh, to play tight end. Those are the two main guys that are playing right now. Cam McCormick, the poor kid, just seems to be constantly hurt. I don't think it's his fault. I just think he keeps getting banged up. And they needed help at tight end. They just needed help. They needed to bring in tight ends. And this was a great year for that because roughly half of the top 18 tight ends in America were in the West, West region. And when you go and you look at signing day and you look at the tight end rankings on rivals, you'll see Oregon gets two, USC gets two, Colorado got one, Cal got one, uh, UCLA gets one. It's like everybody gets a tight end and, and Oregon did the best of everybody at that. If you look at the top seven tight ends in America, the only program in the nation to get two of the top seven tight ends in America is the University of Oregon. They get Maliki Mataval, the All-American Bowl selection, pushed hard pushed hard by UCLA and Washington late. There was a chance that he was going to flip. Oregon does a good job and hangs on to him. Maliki Matavao has got a chance to be a really, really good player. You look at his offer sheet, it's pretty impressive. And then they bring in Terrence Ferguson, the Colorado prospect. That's two of the top players in the West region in their respective states. Maliki Matavao, number one player out of Nevada. Terrence Ferguson, number one player out of Colorado. If you're cleaning up the West region and taking the best players at all the best state or all the states in the West region, you're doing a pretty good job. Terrence Ferguson, another big time talent, two of the top seven tight ends in America. Nice job there. Offensive line. Oh, offensive line. You know, it's Mario Cristobal's bread and butter. You know, it's a brand new offensive line this year and Oregon doesn't look it. Now they make mistakes, but they don't look like five brand new starters. So, you know, he knows how to coach them. Alex Mirabal, great recruiter at offensive line. In fact, Alex Mirabal was the number one recruiter in the Pac-12 conference this year, according to 24-7. Why? Because Oregon absolutely killed it along the offensive line. I don't think you can overstate how good a job Oregon did with offensive line recruiting. I think it's impossible, impossible to overstate how good a job Oregon did with offensive line recruiting because the gap between Oregon and everyone else in the Pac-12 when it comes to offensive linemen, is massive. In fact, the gap between Oregon's four-man class and an all-star collection of the best other four commitments in the entire Pac-12 is pretty massive. Oregon, at offensive tackle, got two of the top nine tackles in America. Both of them are one and two in the West region. Five-star offensive tackle, Kingsley Suamataia. He's a five-star in rivals. His ranking makes him a five-star on 24-7 sports when they update their stars. They haven't finalized all their stars, but the top 32 kids in America earn five-star. That's their rule. That's how many first-round picks there are. That's how many guys get five-star status. He's at number 28. So when they update their board, he'll be a five-star on Rivals and 24-7. Kingsley Suamataia was the number six offensive tackle in the country. Bram Walden out of Arizona, another All-American Bowl selection, was number nine. Oregon might have gotten the starting left and right tackle from the All-American Bowl from the West squad. Number six, number nine, the top two in the West region. Where's the rest of the Pac-12? 
Thomas Cole from UCLA is the next best offensive tackle commit in the entire conference. Where is he? He's the number 34 offensive tackle in the country. Where's the next best guy? All the way down to number 47. Mason Murphy signed with USC. He's the number 47 offensive tackle in the nation. Oregon signed six and seven. The top two guys in the West region. The entire all-star lineup for the rest of the Pac-12 is number 34 and number 47 in the nation. That's how big the gap is. It's unbelievable. That's an unbelievable gap. When you're competing in the Pac-12, everybody has good skill. The best teams in the Pac-12 all have pretty good skill, guys. I mean, the Pac-12 is known for its offense. But where you can really separate, and where Stanford separated themselves about 10 years ago was, they had good skill guys. I mean, Christian McCaffrey, Toby Gerhardt, Andrew Luck, come on. They had good skill guys. Zach Ertz at tight end. But where they really separated themselves and where they started to become a Pac-12 power They were just so much better than everybody else in the trenches. Now imagine if Oregon has five-star quarterback, the best wide receivers and tight ends in the the conference, and by a massive, massive margin, the best offensive line in the conference. Suddenly you're talking about a potential, potential dynasty. At guard, Oregon got the number two guard in the West region, Jonah Miller, who's six foot six and a half and something like 300 pounds, Jonah Miller opted out. This I love this story. Jonah Miller could have played his last year at Arizona as a senior, in the state of Arizona as a senior. They played. Ty Thompson played. Bram Walden played. Jonah Miller chose not to play so that he could train and lift and get bigger and stronger and faster and prepare his body for college football. Jonah Miller has just hunkered down kind of like Micah Pittman did a couple years ago when he graduated early and then waited a few months to come to Oregon so he could put himself through like a daily grind for a few months to get his body ready for college football. Jonah Miller just kind of unplugged from the world and just trained and got bigger and stronger. It's a great story, Jonah Miller. And then at center, Oregon gets a center commit really early. And centers aren't really rated very highly. I don't know if people know that often the number one center in America is still only a three-star prospect. They're just not considered as big a deal as other positions, uh, fair or not. And they get Jackson Light really early, more than a year ago. And he's the number six center in the nation. You're kind of going, okay, well, that, I, I guess, he, you know, if you're just looking at ranking, you're probably going, I guess the number six center, I don't, I don't know, it feels like Oregon could get a top 20 guard and just slide him over and, and get maybe a bigger body. Um, we'll see. We'll see. And then Jackson Light goes on the early camp circuit and is just hands down the best center in the country. Uh, he earned an Under Armour All-American Bowl uh, invite after one camp where the Under Armour crew was there. Just, oh, that kid's that kid's invited. Uh, he moved up to the number one center in America on 24-7 sports. He added a fourth star and they moved him into the top 200 prospects in America. A center. A center. I mean, it, it doesn't happen all that often. Maybe one center every year or every other year is a top 200 kid, but this is a guy who's been tabbed as a monster. And not only that, but Jackson for a year has been just an outgoing recruiter for Oregon. On the offensive side of the ball, he's probably the recruiter for Oregon. He bleeds green and yellow. He bleeds green and yellow. And he's been an essential part. Mario Cristobal mentioned it during his news conference. Jackson Light's been an essential part of this recruiting effort. And I think those kids deserve credit. And we don't necessarily just want to give them credit on social media day of signing day. Hey, thanks for helping out. Remember that. Remember that when he maybe has a bad game. Remember that when he's an All-American. Remember that when he's an All-Conference guy. Whatever it is. An added asterisk for his entire career 
needs to be that he helped put together the best recruiting class in program history. Jackson Light has damn near earned his scholarship already because he helped bring in a bunch of talent. Congrats to Jackson Light on signing with Oregon. It was his dream. He did it. He had to wait a year, but it's finally done. We spent a lot of time on the offensive side of the ball because the defensive side of the ball, not quite as exciting. There's some good names here, but it's not quite the same level as offense. The offense had arguably the best or one of the best, one of the best two or three recruiting classes in the nation. If you just took offense. Defense is a little bit different story. Along the defensive line, I've talked about it before. That's really been Oregon's big bugaboo issue. They, they have not done a great job recruiting defensive linemen. If you look at average star rating across the entire roster, defensive line is significantly lower, significantly lower than any other position group on the roster. So it, it's a problem. Keanu Williams is a consensus four-star prospect. I really, really like him. Six foot five, 295 pounds, very versatile, could play any of the front spots in a 3-4 defense. He'll probably play right in the middle there. Keanu Williams maybe, maybe is the number two interior defensive lineman in the West region. Uh, he's a good get. It's a nice piece. And they get Terrell Tillman, a three-star prospect, who I like. He's a talented kid, a long kid. He could grow and be, uh, he could fill out and become an athletic kind of edge rusher for him. He's talented, but it's not necessarily that five-star guy. And, and as we'll get to uh, a little later in the show, they are still in it for the number one prospect in America who's a defensive lineman. So Oregon may not be done there. And that, that's, that's going to be really the key to the entire defense at every level is I'll mention who's, who, you know, who they got. And then I'll say, and they're not done. And, and then we'll have to talk about who that is. But decent group at defensive line, especially with Keanu Williams, good player. But, you know, compared to five-star quarterback, the best wide receiver and tight end class and offensive line class in program history, Seven McGee, who was once the number 33 prospect in America, it's not quite the same level. And it's an area that Oregon, frankly, needs to get better at. At linebacker, Oregon got Noah Sewell and Justin Flo last year, two five-star guys. It wasn't a huge need, right? I mean, there are years where you really need help somewhere. Oregon really needed help at wide receiver and tight end. You always want to get a good quarterback. But there are just certain years where you don't necessarily need a ton of help. So Oregon didn't need to hit it and get four and five linebackers. But they got an interesting collection of linebackers. And the headliner, of course, is Lebanon linebacker and also elite recruiter, All-American Bowl selection, Keith Brown out of Lebanon. Great player. Top player in the state of Oregon. Oregon never is going to ignore the home state, which I really uh, admire about Mario Cristobal. They take a national view and then make sure they always get the best player in Oregon. In the class of 2022, they've already got a Marion Winston, Lamar Winston's little brother, who some feel could fill out and be the best player in the state of Oregon. They're always going to try to get the best player in Oregon. And they did it with Keith Brown, who right along with Jackson Light, no matter what you say about Keith Brown the rest of the way, he gets an asterisk next to his name where he gets an added boost in fan love because he helped bring this class together. He played for FSP. So did Maliki Mataval. So did Troy Franklin. Keith Brown committed first. Keith Brown has been very, very integral in this group. He's close with Tobias Merriweather, the class of 2022 wide receiver. This is a kid who not only is an All-American inside backer, but also was essential in putting this class together and deserves a tremendous, tremendous amount of credit. This is one of my two favorite stats from this entire recruiting class. And it involves Brandon Buckner, who on 24-7 Sports is the lowest rated of Oregon's 21 commitments. And I'm not taking a huge shot at him. He's a three-star prospect. He's a top 800 kid in America, uh, prospect in America. That's still really good. There are Pac-12 programs whose fourth best commitment in their entire class is rated lower 
than Brandon Buckner. So the Arizona Chandler High School or Chandler prospect is talented. He's, he's really talented. Here's the stat that I love about Brandon Buckner. Brandon Buckner, the lowest rated commit in Oregon's class, was a preseason max preps first team All-American. Let that sink in. Oregon got 21 commitments in this class. The lowest rated guy, not the best, in air quotes, the worst. And by the way, I don't think Brandon Buckner's the worst. This is the, that's not what I'm doing here. But the lowest rated was still a first team preseason max preps all American. That is unbelievable. When you sign 21 guys and the lowest rated of that group is a max preps first team all American, that just speaks to the depth and talent in this class. Really, truly, remarkably impressive. One of my favorite stats. And Brandon Buckner should be a fan favorite. Great kid. At DB, Oregon was able to get Darren Barkins and Jalen Davies. Jalen Davies is an Under Armour All-American. Jalen Davies is a top 10 corner in the nation out of modern day. Great get for Oregon there. A, a guy you really feel good about, frankly, if you're the Ducks. Because there was a chance. There was You, ne- you never know. There's always a chance that those modern day guys flip. And with Kyron Ware Hudson, he did. He flipped. Even His brother goes to Oregon. He flipped to USC. And you wonder, he's very close with Jalen Davies. Is Oregon going to miss out on, on Jalen Davies? And they didn't. To their credit, they were able to keep him in the fold and bring him in. Really impressive. Darren Barkins is a lower-rated kid in this class. Darren Barkins is one of the fastest kids in the country. He ran a 4-4-3 laser. Darren Barkins is an intriguing kid. Not a superstar. a three-star kid. But he's got that elite speed, and if you can put some muscle on him and fill him out and and he can utilize that speed, he's got a chance to be a good one. Damon David is an interesting kid out of Maryland. He was a two-star or not rated for a long time, but he blew, blew, blew up in the last year of his recruitment. Um, He's close friends with Dante Thornton. He jumped up to a consensus four-star prospect. Damon David committed before a month or so before Dante Thornton. And once Damon David committed, uh, if you paid attention, you knew that meant Dante was coming too because they're best friends. And Damon David wanted to be a duck and and it makes the transition easier for both of those guys to not get homesick. So not only is Damon David in his own right, a great linebacker, or excuse me, a great safety, four-star consensus, four-star safety from Maryland, but also he and Dante Thornton, uh, a special, special pair from back East that Oregon can keep together and potentially ease the transition there. Jeffrey Bossa, three-star safety out of Utah. Utah really, really wanted this kid, six foot three, six foot two. Uh, 200 pounds, big hitter, uh, not the most elite cover guy in the in the class, but a thumper. And you go back and you look at like TJ Ward and, and some of the guy, Patrick Chung, and some of the guys Oregon had that just hit you in the mouth. And uh, you hope that Jeffrey Boss is the guy that brings back that kind of tradition. That is the majority of this class. It's a great group, but it's not done. We're going to take a quick break. And in a minute, I will give you Oregon's top targets left on the board and what their chances are to bring them into the fold and raise this class even higher. We'll be right back. Before we get into the targets that Oregon has left on the board, I want to give you this stat. It's the second big stat from the class. The first one, of course, was that Oregon's lowest rated recruit out of their 21 prospects was Brandon Buckner. But Brandon Buckner was a Max Preps first team All-American. I think that's incredible. This stat is even crazier to me. And it comes courtesy of Matt Schick 
from ESPN. There are six programs that have won a game in the college football playoff in the history of the college football playoff. Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, LSU, Clemson, and Oregon. The class rankings, according to ESPN, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, LSU, Clemson, Oregon. People say recruiting doesn't matter. Stars don't matter. They do. In the last 20 years, no program has won a national title without three, four, five, six years ago having consensus top 10 recruiting classes. You have to have consistent top 10 recruiting classes. When you have a six-year tradition, when you have a big chunk of years in a row where your program has been saturated with elite talent, where seniors who have been five-star prospects have been able to, to mentally and physically mentor freshmen who come in as five stars, that's how you build a national championship program. The top six teams in the recruiting class rankings on ESPN are also the only six teams in the history of the college football playoff to have won a game. It's unbelievable. I never want to hear recruiting rankings don't matter. I never want to hear recruiting doesn't matter. In a vacuum, in a vacuum, not every five-star is going to pan out. Not every three-star is going to pan out. And you can point to Marcus Mariota. Heck, you could point to Giannis Antetokounmpo and say the first-round draft order in the NBA doesn't matter. Oh, Tom Brady was a late-round pick? The draft order in the NFL, the rounds don't matter. But playing the averages, playing the odds, overwhelmingly, it matters. And you, if you can be a perennial top 10 recruiter to the point where it saturates your program fully for maybe not even just one iteration of the team, but for two or three in a row, like Alabama's done, like Clemson's done, like LSU's done, like Ohio State's done for the last 10, 15 years, that's how you put some trophies in the trophy case. What's left for Oregon? It's a top six class, according to seemingly everyone. It's the highest rated class in program history. It's got 21 kids committed. 20 of them are signed, sealed, delivered. The 21st, Jonathan Flo committed on Tuesday. His plan was always to wait until later, uh, to the late signing period, or potentially even later, to sign his binding letter of intent. But Oregon has some spots. Roughly 80% of the Power 5 conference prospects sign. And that's give or take like 10%. Some years it's been as low as is the low 70s. Some years it's been, you know, in the mid 80s. So what is it, what's going to happen for this year? Probably it's pretty safe to say roughly 80%. So roughly 80% of the Power 5 conference prospects are already signed, sealed, delivered. But that still leaves 20%. It still leaves 20% of the prospects out there. And Oregon's got three or four scholarships left. So who are they going to go after? If you have a subscription to OregonLive.com backslash recruiting, I break all of that down and have broken all that down earlier this week. But I'll give you some of it here. And the big target on the board and everybody who follows recruiting, and if you listen to this podcast, you follow recruiting, everybody knows. Nimic talk about JT Tuomalau. JT Tuomalau is the number one recruit in America. Based out of Seattle, he recently, on signing day rather than sign, announced the top five. Alabama, Ohio State, Oregon, USC, Washington. That's it. That's who's left in the running for JT Tuomalau. Special, special ch- talent. For almost a full year, for almost a full year, Ohio State's been viewed as the favorite. It would take a lot. But 
But, and Oregon's done this before, if you give Oregon staff, and they're very good recruiters, if you give them, rather than having to blanket cover and recruit 30, 35 kids to fill a class of 25, if you sign 20, 20 kids and give the whole staff three or four names and say, okay, entire Oregon staff, if Mario says entire Oregon staff, JT is our priority. We're spending all that recruiting energy, all those recruiting hours, all those text messages, FaceTime calls, all the Zoom calls, all of that is focused on these three names. Oregon's got a chance. They got DJ James last year, and I know it's a totally different profile, right? People are like, Nimic, pump the brakes with DJ James a couple years ago, excuse me, a couple years ago. DJ James, really? It's not the same thing. He was a three-star prospect. DJ James was a prospect in Alabama with an offer from Alabama. And Oregon ended up winning that recruiting battle. So it can be done. Oregon can do the seemingly impossible. So JT Tuomalau, Oregon probably running third. I think Ohio State's there. I think Alabama's in there somewhere. I think Washington's in there, but I think Oregon's probably running ahead or it was running ahead of Washington about a month ago. So I think I think the big schools you're looking at right now are probably you know, Ohio State won and then Alabama and Oregon kind of battling for that two spot. And we'll see. Ohio State's had a big lead for a long time. Jordan Moku. I, I like Jordan Mo, Jordan Moko, Jordan Moku. I, I struggle with names sometimes. Jordan Moko, uh, the number one offensive tackle in the country in the junior college ranks. Jordan Moko uh, would add to Oregon's tradition. Four years ago, Oregon got George Moore, who at the time was the number one offensive tackle in junior college, uh, in the junior college ranks. Uh, Mali Isala Aumuve Laulu was the number one offensive tackle three years ago or two years ago. Oregon pulled him in last year. TJ Bass was the number one guard in junior college football. Oregon pulled him in. So three of the last four recruiting cycles, Oregon has gotten either the number one offensive tackle or the number one offensive guard. Could they make it four in five years? It'll come down to Jordan. It depends on what Oregon thinks they have with this recruiting class. They know they've got a great group, but they need to have depth for next year. And it's really tough for a true freshman to come in and be be a superstar. Panay Sewell is just a different person entirely a different thing entirely he's a creature most people don't come in and do that as good as Kingsley Suamataia is I don't know if he can come in and do that so they're gonna have to look at the depth they have on the team as they finish out the year with USC and potentially a bowl game we'll see if they take one um and see what they have and see if they want to go after him and, and, and pursue him. Oregon hasn't really been in the mix as a super front-running team for him throughout. But again, Mario Cristobal does such a good job with offensive linemen. And when this staff is fully focused on three or four names, they can make up a lot of ground in a hurry. So he is a name to watch. Uh, Byron Cardwell, mentioned him earlier in the show. Byron Cardwell, the number eight running back in the nation. The number one running back in the West region. And as much as they need him, and they do, you look at the running back position... And and frankly, it's been downgraded since Gary Campbell left. Gary Campbell didn't necessarily recruit the highest rated guys. And I'm not saying that LaMichael James and, and Kenyon Barner were, were bums. And Jonathan Stewart certainly wasn't a bum. Five-star recruit. But those guys were not outside of Jonathan Stewart, obviously, who I just mentioned at the tail end of that. Those guys weren't necessarily like the number one running back in the West region. Those were guys that he picked out, decided would be elite or potentially elite in this program, put him in the University of Oregon program and and found hidden gems. And he did a phenomenal job. And you can go back all the way again, just like that tight end position. You can go back to 94 and it seemed like they always had an NFL tight end on the roster. Same thing at running back. Since 94, 
almost. Oregon's had a running back who's been in the NFL, and that trend has continued, although the elite superstar guys haven't always been there. You go back to like, you know, you go Derek Lavelle, Saladin McCullough, Ruben Drones, Maurice Morris, Ontario Smith. Uh, it's a it's a huge group. And then obviously, you know, more recently, you get into LaMichael, you know, LeGarrette Blunt, LaMichael James, Kenyon Barner, Jonathan Stewart was in that group. Um, CJ Verdell's obviously going to carry that tradition. Royce Freeman really recently was a good one. Uh, Verdell's going to play in the NFL. So they've had a tradition of great running backs, but it just doesn't feel like this team has a superstar right now. They need one. And as much as I like Seven McGee, and I, I mentioned he was the number 32 prospect in America prior to being ineligible for his junior season due to the move to New York, uh, you know, they've had, he might develop into a superstar, but he's more of a slot receiver slash running back, kind of like DeAnthony Thomas. You probably aren't giving him 25 to 30 carries a game and having him run between the tackles. You probably want to, you know, use him in some fly sweeps. He's going to do some special teams things. He's going to just touch the ball 15 times a game in different ways and, and impact the game that way. They need a true bell cow back. And Byron Cardwell would be that guy. The added layer to him and the added hidden value, the hidden storyline here with him. And he's got Cal, USC, UCLA, Florida, Florida State, Texas A&M. Those are all schools that are recruiting him and have been for a long time. The hidden storyline here is if Oregon is able to pull this off, it says they've added a new, a new weapon, I guess you'd say, to their arsenal. Because there aren't very many programs who can identify a kid in December or in late November of their senior senior years in high school and say, oh, this kid's a blue chip prospect. Okay, let's offer him and see if we can make up the ground of Florida, Florida State, and USC who've been recruiting him for more than a year. Let's see if we can make up that ground in a handful of weeks and, and get him. That doesn't happen. Clemson can do it. Clemson recruited uh, Justin Flo. And when two years ago or last year, and when Justin Flo pretty much had made it clear he wasn't going to go there, uh, they wanted him to commit and, and he wasn't quite ready to pull the trigger. Clemson just flipped and offered a different five-star outside linebacker and he visited the next week or two weeks later and committed. So when you're able to do that, when you're able to pivot late and say, okay, I, let's go after this other blue chip guy. Let's go after someone else's superstar. Even if he's not committed, let's go, uh, you know, let's go after somebody else's guy that would be their headliner, a guy that would be the name in their class. Let's go after their top guy as our, and it's not afterthought, but as our late surge push guy. And if you're able to get that guy, that's a whole different thing. Cal, UCLA, USC, he's a California kid. He's a San Diego kid. That matters, that they've been recruiting him for a long time. If Oregon's able to come in in late November and by January 25th, his commitment date, are able to get that commitment, it just says that Mario Cristobal is on a whole different level. There are a handful of schools in the country who can go after other programs, potential headline guys that they've been recruiting for a couple of years and just in a matter of weeks make up all that ground. Clemson can do it. Ohio State can do it. Alabama can do it. LSU can do it. That's about it. Oregon trying to add its name to that group. Jadarius Perkins uh, com- committed to Oregon and was committed to Oregon for a long time. The junior college corner, the number three corner in the nation. After he committed to Oregon, he picked up offers from Alabama, Auburn, and Florida. He already had an impressive list. That made it all the more impressive. And you had to wonder, even though he was committed to Oregon, when you add an Alabama offer, an Auburn offer, and a Florida offer for a kid who, in the South, and he goes to Gulf uh, Mississippi Community College, you have to wonder, Gulf Coast 
Mississippi. Oh no. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Gulf coast community, Mississippi community college or something along those lines. It's actually a big school. I just can't quite remember it. Um, when you go to, when you play junior college ball in the South, uh, you know, those offers really mean something. And so he decommitted to look at his options. Mississippi state seems to be the front runner, but Oregon isn't done. And I, and I had a chance to talk to Jadarius just yesterday and he said he did not sign with a school. And if he was going to have signed with a school, it probably would have been Mississippi State yesterday. That would have been the hidden thing. Now, he's waiting till December 25th to announce his commitment. But the worry and the fear was that he would do what Dante Manning did for Oregon last year, sign with Oregon secretly during the early signing period and then announce it later on a given date. And he said, I'm not ready to sign. I'm not sure what I'm going to do. Oregon's still recruiting him, and he said he's got a great relationship with Mario Cristobal. He's got a great relationship with the Oregon coaching staff, and he's genuinely torn. He could come back in the fold. And when you look at this defensive backfield, they were supposed to be the best group in the nation. They were rated in the preseason magazines, and according to a couple of uh, national guys, as, as the number one defensive backfield in the nation. And then Thomas Graham opted out, and Javon Holland opted out, and Brady Breeze opted out. And we could see after this season, Diamador Lenore leaving. You could see Nick Pickett potentially uh, decide to move on and not come back. Because remember, seniors can actually come back for next season because this year doesn't count. So uh, you could really see a number of those veteran guys coming back um, or they could move on. And if they do move on, Oregon needs some plug and play help. Jadarius Perkins could potentially be that plug and play help. So Oregon's going to cross its fingers, continue to recruit him and hope that he rejoins the full Jadarius Perkins. Again, the number three junior college corner in the nation. He's six foot two, 185 pounds, runs a four, four laser. He probably just on body alone. If he doesn't just you know, sometimes JC guys just completely flame out and I don't, I don't see him doing that. So as long as he doesn't do that, just based on the athleticism profile and the height and the length that he has, he's probably going to play in the NFL. You want that guy in the fold. Dante Balfour is a, is a Florida corner, three-star corner. He's being recruited by a number of schools. Auburn is considered the favorite for him, but he chose not to sign. Oregon offered him very recently in the hopes of maybe pulling him in during the late signing period. He also picked up an offer from LSU. The fact that he didn't sign is interesting. And again, when I talk about dream scenario yesterday for Oregon, they signed all 20 of the 20 guys they expected to sign from the best program or the best recruiting class in program history. And then they have these list of names, JT Tuomalau, Jordan Moko, Byron Cardwell, Jadarius Perkins, Dante Balfour, and we'll get to the rest of the names. These guys could have chosen. They could have decided. Sometimes guys do. But they chose not to. They chose not to sign, which gives Oregon time to attack them. So you look at Oregon's committed players. They went 20 for 20 signing them. And then of the guys they were recruiting and kids said, you know, Oregon's still in contact with me. They still want to bring me in. Of that group, none of them signed. None of them came off the board. That's perfect. That's what Oregon wants. Oregon would love to sign, to lock in 20, We give us three or four more spots to work, and we'll look at the rest of the board, we'll look at the rest of the country, and go attack the best players in the country who didn't sign. And the guys that Oregon has been in contact with over the last couple months, none of them really signed that were uncommitted. It's huge. It's a great thing. Dante Balfour is going to be interesting. It might be tough to pull off, but they will try it. I think if Jadarius Perkins commits, Balfour probably takes a step back 
in terms of uh, priority. But if Perkins signs with Mississippi State, I could see Balfour uh, kind of jumping up to the forefront of the defensive back uh, targets. Um, and we'll have to see how it all shakes out. Rajon Davis. Rajon Davis is an interesting one. He's an LSU commit. He decided last week not to sign. He's a modern day kid. Sound familiar? Two years ago, modern day, Oregon got Mace Funa, Sean Dollars, and Keon Ware Hudson. This year, they signed Jalen Davies. Oregon would love to add a great linebacker. You kidding me? One of the top 50 or 60 kids in America, the number four outside linebacker in the country. Rajon Davis is one of those kids who didn't sign. And as long as he doesn't sign, you leave the door open. And again, when Oregon's whole staff gets to meet and say, these are the four, spend all the time you spend on 25 on these four, they can pull off some pretty incredible stuff. Rajon Davis is going to be a tough one to get, committed to LSU, obviously. It's going to be a tough one to get, but Oregon has modern day connections. And Rajon Davis is not new to Oregon. Oregon's had a multi-year relationship with the kid. He just chose LSU. Can Oregon flip him? It's a name to watch. Do I think it's likely? No. But I think Rajon Davis at this point might be, might be more likely than a name like Siaki Ika in the transfer portal who Oregon fans have been feeling like is a future duck for a long time and it's looking less and less likely and he looks like he's going to announce on Monday and I don't see it being Oregon. I think Rajon da- Oregon has a better chance with Rajon Davis right now than they do Siaki Ika. And again, I think the odds are probably fairly long for both. And the last target to watch, and uh, this is an interesting one to me, it's Sierra Wright. Sierra Wright is one of the top 10 corners in America. Uh, he is, he's got a list of top schools that includes UCLA, USC, Notre Dame, and those are probably the front runner schools. Sierra Wright also is about to star as LeBron James's son in Space Jam 2. And he wants to be an actor. And he's done interviews and said, it's going to be really, really, really hard for me to leave LA because I have an acting career. On Twitter right now, he's pushing to be the next Miles Morales, uh, who is Spider-Man, uh, for an upcoming movie. And and I don't know how realistic that is. I don't know if like if he's just like hoping that that goes viral for him and he gets the spot, or if he's actually you know in any way had an audition for that. But he cares about his career in Hollywood as an actor. So I think it's a real long shot. Oregon's in his top group of schools. It's a fairly substantial group. I believe it's a top ten. Um, Sierra Wright to me seems like a really, really, really long shot. And even if he does commit, I think there's an off chance and I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to, you know, split hairs and say, here's where his priorities lie, but he really cares about his career. And if he were to get a big movie role while he was playing anywhere, I could see him taking a step back from football. Notre Dame is is appealing to him. Um, to me, USC is known as an acting school. It's close to home. They have a good recruiting class. I would think there's a good possibility. Dante Williams is a great recruiter, obviously he used to be at Oregon. I think Sierra Wright's probably more likely to choose UCLA or USC. Uh, and I think probably Oregon is running a real, real, real long shot there. But he is a name to watch because he has Oregon in his top list. That is the main targets to watch right now. Those are the guys that Oregon was in contact with, according to those prospects, prior to the early signing period. As I've talked about before, and as you know, when the early signing period ends, and there's still two more days, but obviously almost everybody signs the first day, when when the early signing period's over, college football programs around America go through the entire list of all the top prospects in America, the top 500 and they identify, and, and even deeper for a lot of programs, 
and they identify every kid who hasn't signed and they watch the film and as a staff say, where are our needs? Where's the best kid? And where do we have the best chance to either flip a kid or land an uncommitted kid out of what we want as our top priority? So these are the names Oregon was recruiting prior, prior to the early signing period. Don't be surprised. In fact, go the other way. Be surprised if those are the only names you hear the rest of the way. There's a very, very good chance they identify one more DB. There's a very good chance they identify a defensive lineman. There's a decent chance they identify another offensive lineman. Um, be surprised if they identify a quarterback. That would surprise me. They've got Ty Thompson, uh, Tyler Shucks coming back. Jay Butterfield's a great quarterback. I don't necessarily see them going after a quarterback, but you you watch the team. You know where their needs are. They're along the defensive line. They're pretty stout at linebacker, but if you can add a big-time name, why not? And, and in the defensive backfield. So pay attention to who that is. I will be reporting on it on OregonLive.com and, uh, and obviously for the Oregonian. So uh, pay attention to that because I, I think we're going to see some fluidity here this year. And then, of course, of course, none of this really discusses the transfer portal. And the NCAA this week approved a new rule that transfers can transfer one time to any school for free without having to sit out. The transfer portal, according to every college coach I talked to, is going to be the deepest and best ever. There's going to be big names in it. And it's going to be a mistake. It's going to be a mistake for college football programs who say we have two spots left, let's wait till the early signing period's over and let's just grab a project three-star. Let's grab a low three-star we think is projectable and maybe we can build him for three years. That's going to be a mistake if you fill your spots. You're going to want a couple of spots because there are going to be a lot of big, big names in the transfer portal who get to transfer for one year for free. Oregon could use some defensive linemen. They could use some DBs. Maybe they could use a tight end. So to just fill up those spots would be a mistake. And and Oregon knows that. They're going to hit the transfer portal hard. These are some big names they could go after. And of course, they'll hit up some names in the transfer portal. Siaki Ika announcing Monday, do not see it being Oregon. It would be a shock. It could still happen. Crazier things have happened. But at this point, Oregon trending in the wrong direction for him. Samori Tori is the other name that people really are tying to Oregon right now. And I think that is going to come down to how Oregon feels about their depth at receiver this last game of the year and whether or not Jalen Red, Johnny Johnson, or some of the younger guys, uh, whether Jalen Red or Johnny Johnson decide to move on after this season, or if some of those younger guys who haven't played decide to transfer. If it opens up a spot, Oregon might fill it with a guy like Samori Tori, who's an instant impact player. That's it. That's your signing day recap. Thank you, as always, for listening to The Recruiting Trail. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcast. I don't recommend theft. I don't, but... I don't mind borrowing. And if you want to borrow your spouses, your friends, your mom, your dad, your cousins, you want to take their phone and subscribe to the podcast and be like, hey, there's a podcast on your phone. You should give that a listen. I'm not going to be mad. In fact, I'll be happy as long as you give that phone back. I highly recommend it. In fact, that's your project. If you enjoy this show, we don't charge you for it. So just go ahead and borrow somebody's phone that you know. Go into their Apple podcast, go into their podcast, go to uh, Stitcher, go to wherever you get your podcasts, and go ahead and hit subscribe for the recruiting trail. It really help us out at the Oregonian and Oregon Live, and of course, it helped me out. So thank you for listening. Appreciate you. And remember, Oregon, three years in a row with the best recruiting class in program history. But these guys at oldest, you go back three years, are true sophomores.
The next few years, if Oregon can keep this up, are going to be special. Enjoy. Enjoy.